Hello, hello, my name is Jeff, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. Um, and I get to be on staff with this wonderful community, which means I am at your service. And I love it. Um, if you're new with us, you have, and, and many of you are, like I'm staring at this huge chunk of people who are new with us. <laughs> so if anyone else is new with us, we're glad you're here. Um, you have caught us in a teaching series that addresses one of the great cries of the human heart. You've heard it all over tonight already. Uh, and that, 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 that cry that many make is, how do I hear God's voice? It's, it's definitely the cry of graduating seniors who love Jesus. Yes? Yeah. God, hello, what do I do? <laughs> it's for sure the cry of all the interns and transitional staff right now as they try to figure out what God wants them to do next. But I would argue it's something we all long for. I think that those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, I think we really want a relationship with God that doesn't feel like a one-way conversation. Amen? And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're here exploring God, then how cool if he talked back. And tonight, we are going to talk about how emotions fit in with hearing from God. We're going to talk about all the feels and the role they play in hearing the voice of God. So let's pray and we'll ask God to speak to us tonight, okay? Jesus, we are so thankful that you are here with us and that is not pretend. You are actually here tonight and you are a speaking God. You have spoken and your people recorded it for us to hear and say, see, these are the things that he said. And you speak now, live, by your Spirit. You never contradict yourself. You are always consistent. And you are teaching us to follow you. And part of that is teaching us to recognize your voice. And so, Lord, I pray as we uh, zoom in on the role that our emotions play in hearing your voice, I pray that you would speak to us. I'm counting on it. I've prayed. I've prepared. But you, the work you do way ahead of time in, in our hearts is way more important. So I'm counting on you to make these words stick in our souls permanently in a way that shapes us to better hear your voice through our feelings. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for this time. Amen. 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 Okay. Um, As I started thinking and praying about tonight, I had a lot of questions. Uh, Questions like, why do we have emotions? Where do they come from? How do they fit in with what it means to be human? And I realized that I was asking anthropology questions. Anybody anthropology majors here? Yes! You're alone! Anyone else? Yeah, two, all right. Three, yeah! Michael Keene, raise that hand higher, brother. You, oh, sorry, peripheral, peripheral. Those three people know what a human being is. The rest of us are hopeless. But that's what, that's what an anthropology question is. An anthropology question says, what is a human being? What does it mean to be human? And where do, where do our emotions fit in with what it means to be human? Now, lots of people answer that anthropology question differently, okay? Rationalists will tell you that we are thinkers. That's the most important part of what it means to be human. Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. In other words, the most concrete evidence of our existence is that we can think. 
which means that it's our rationalism that primarily defines us. Now, rationalists would say that the highest vision of what it means to be a human is to be a thinker. And, and for centuries, uh, this has dominated philosophical thought in the West, particularly. That humans are primarily reflective, reasonable, rational creatures. And that's what it means to be human. Now, emotions, for the rationalist, are just confusing. They're largely irrational, and they're distracting from clear, settled thought. Uh, at their best, they're a little bit annoying and unsettling. And at their worst, they're distracting and confusing of good, clear thinking. Now, sometimes, I think Christians sound like this, don't we? A lot of times, our emotions are set up as dangerous in our walk with Jesus. They're unreliable, fickle, even deceptive, which is not untrue. What really matters is your will, your decisions, your choices. Your feelings are only any good if they line up with your will. But most of the time, you'll have to suppress them and act against them. Now, when this gets extreme, it's really just a Christian way of saying, I think, therefore I am. What it means most to be human is to be decisive, rational, willful. But I wonder, is that the whole picture? Does that even ring true to our experience? That we are at our most human when we are factual and precise. I don't know if any of us really live like that. That what's most important to our existence are the settled intellectual conclusions we come to. I don't think children live like that. And they're fully alive. Mine are. Here they come. Hello. <laughs> what's funny is that this is so normal. It's unusual when they're smiling kindly at the camera. Say cheese. Bleah! That's our family. And I don't think that's my experience either. At the most important, momentous occasions that I measure my life by. My wedding day. The day my little girl Maya was born. What a girl. My personal prayer retreats into the mountains every summer where I meet with God while he's throwing sunrise gold on the snow above me. Those aren't only rational experiences. So I don't think rationalists have it right. Not all the way. We are not primarily just thinkers. We laugh too much for that. And I think that counts for a lot. Now, thankfully, not everyone's a rationalist. There are also mystics and romantics out there. Yeah. And they say, no, you rationalists have got it all wrong. We are creatures of the heart. We are creatures of passion. They would say, I feel, therefore I am. That's what it means to be alive. They take seriously the fact that so much of our experience of reality is actually emotional. The sun starts coming out in the spring, and we start feeling something, don't we? 
right? You, the clouds part and the sun comes out and suddenly, oh, I'm so happy. Sound of music starts playing in my ears. The mountains, it's amazing. Just amazing. Or you're walking across Red Square and you see a friendly, familiar face. All kinds of emotions come to the top, don't they? Romantics say the most important thing about being human is what we feel. Our emotions actually define us. The way we feel is actually who we are. And this is really popular in our culture right now. There's this sense that to deny your feelings is to deny your very self, right? And if someone doesn't respect how you feel, then they don't respect you. Or that the best way to determine how we should live is to do whatever feels right. Right? Some Christians sound like this too. But we couch it in religious language. Christians who elevate their feelings equate God with their emotions. They say, if I feel this so strongly, then it must be God. And they say that because their emotions are the most important thing to them. So they'll totally ignore wise counsel. They'll ignore biblical guidance. What matters most to them in following God is how they feel. But they're really just imitating the culture that says our emotions are the most important thing to pay attention to. That what makes us happy is the most important thing to pursue in life. So, I wonder, do we really want to live that way either? All bounce and no reflection. All appetite and impulse, but no restraint. All sentiment, but no conviction. I think that's why we like things on Facebook. Or love, or smiley face, or shocked face. <laughs> I think that's why we do. We, we click that, those little icons, but don't actually do anything about it. Because liking things on Facebook feels like we're making some grand gesture or taking a stand, even when nothing has changed about our life after the click. <laughs> it's sentiment with very little conviction attached. So I don't think the mystics and romantics have the answer either. Their version of what it means to be human, their anthropology, is as faulty as the rationalists. We are certainly emotional, but that's not all we are. We need a better anthropology. How about a biblical anthropology? If we're going to figure out what role our emotions play in hearing God's voice, we have to understand what role emotions play in what it means to be human. A biblical anthropology doesn't ask, are humans thinkers or feelers? Are we creatures of the head or creatures of the heart? A biblical anthropology says, yes. In scripture, a human being is a wonderful conglomeration of all of it. We are mind, soul, heart, and body. We are a volitional blend of material and immaterial parts. 
There are parts of you that are material, that are touchable, that are measurable. There are parts of you that are immaterial and invisible, that, but they make you you. And you, it's volitional because you can choose what you do with those parts and how to influence them and shape them and make them matter in your world and ripple out and affect other conglomerations of those kinds of parts. A biblically anthropological answer. That's hard to say many times. He says, love the Lord your God. In answer to the question of what's the most important commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He lays out the bundle that we are as humans. And says, love God with every bit. Jesus talks about our heart. It shows up on his list. Which means he assumes there's a role for our emotions to play in loving God. There's a role for our mind, for our body, for our soul, and also for our hearts. The second thing a biblical anthropology tells us is that we are created in the image of God. We are God lookalikes, Scripture says. We are like him, not in looks necessarily because God doesn't have looks but we're made in his image. So to understand what it means to be human, we have got to understand what God is like. And guess what? God is emotional. He is. Do you ever think about that? Sometimes I think that we have this stoic, dry, dour-faced, deep-voiced <laughs> vision of God who never changes, or facial expression. Right? We think that. He's just this dry, statuesque being who maybe once in a while sounds like Morgan Freeman, so that's okay. (laughs) But God has not, in fact, he has gone out of his way not to reveal himself as this, this, uh, drab, dull, one-expression being towards us, towards his creation. Look at what he tells us about himself in Zephaniah 3. Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. In your mind, what does it look like for God to rejoice over you with singing? I think it looks kind of silly and sweet and beautiful and tender. I'm learning what this means being a dad. Uh, The things that I do in front of my kids, just because I delight in them. Oh, dear. I hate karaoke. With a passion. My skin crawls. All of you who love karaoke at the Christmas party, you keep having a blast. I am going to go somewhere else. I just can't do it. It's my own issue. I am, it's me, not you. But our family loves Justin Bieber. 
And when we are having a dance party, they want me singing along with him. And I love it. (laughs) Because I'm with my kids and I delight in them. And I love seeing them happy because I'm with them. I'm not going to see it right now, Christian. (laughs) Oh, it's not even tempting. Like, no way. If God is emotional like that, and we are made in his image, we are invited to delight and sing. And God experiences a very wide range of emotions. If you look at Jesus in the Gospels, and that's important to do because if you want to know what God is like, look at what Jesus is like because Jesus is the exact representation of God on planet Earth. So if you ever want to know what God is like, this God who we worship, we've decided to attach our lives to, have a look at Jesus and you'll know exactly what we think Jesus is like because that's who he says he is. Jesus cried out over Jerusalem. As he looked down on the city from a hillside in Matthew 23, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. In other words, you kill my friends. You kill those I have sent to you. You kill my messengers who are trying to save you with my saving message. You who have killed those I love. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you refuse. You are not willing. Do you hear the pain in his voice? Have you ever thought about God longing painfully for those in your life who don't know him yet? God gets emotional about it. And if God mourns, If he's allowed to be sad, to be heartbroken, then so are we who are made in his image. And a biblical vision of what it means to be human allows for that, even invites it. Recently, as I've read the headlines of of this civil war in Syria, I've read Psalm 10 right next to it. Because when I hear about what the powerful are doing to the weak, I read this. And one time I screamed it. So angry. Said, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. What an image that God takes grief in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. This is the line that I screamed Break the arms of the wicked man. You allowed to pray that? Yes, you are. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Break the arms of those who are trying to oppress. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out if you don't. The Bible invites us to pray this way. The Bible affirms our emotions. It says, yes, you should be angry about this. So is God. God made us to experience this wide, deep, strong stretch of emotions. Because we are made in his image. Which means our emotions are intrinsic to what it means to be human. 
The final thing that a biblical anthropology tells us about what it means to be human is that, frankly, we're a bit of a mess. Yes, we're made in the image of God. And yes, we're a meld of body, mind, soul, and heart. But God tells us that we are also broken. We're rebellious. We want to lead our own lives instead of the life he's given us. We want to be in charge instead of obedient. We want to be independent, even though we are entirely dependent on God for everything we have, from our health to our money, even to our existence. We are creations, no matter what we try to tell ourselves. And yet in trying to live like our own version of God, calling the shots in our lives, we made a mess of things. If you read Genesis chapter 3, you get the original story. But let's be real. We've all acted out that drama in our lives. And none of us are immune to the side effects of rebellion. The Bible calls that Genesis 3 story, or history has called that Genesis 3 story, the fall. We're all fallen. We all, at different points in our lives, have been grinding the gears against the kind of relationship with God that we were made for. Yes, we're created as emotional beings in the image of God. But that image is smeared now. We're, we're, a, we're a beaten up version. A busted up version of our emo, original emotional selves. Which means that our emotions are now suspect. So now what we feel is always real. But it's not always true. I learned that from Brady my freshman year. I've probably said it a couple times every year since. It's that helpful. Our, what we feel is always real. It's always actually happening. But it's not always trustworthy. When my wife Jessica and I get in an argument, oh, she's here? I didn't tell her I was talking about this. I love you. When my wife Jessica, Jessica and I get in an argument, as this happens, sometimes I feel... Like she doesn't love me. I feel like she doesn't think highly of me. And what I'm feeling is very real. Those feelings are in there. But that doesn't make it true. Because I know she loves me. I know that she thinks highly of me. But it's tricky, isn't it? One, one prophet in the Old Testament put it this way in Jeremiah 17.9. He said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who even knows really how bad it is? <laughs> because of that, even though being emotional is part of what it means to be human, we also have to be suspect of what we feel. Which brings us all the way back around to our original question. How do we hear God emotionally? In light of what it means to be human, in light of what, what it, where emotions fit inside what it means to be human, if we are emotional beings because we're made in the image of God, but that image has been damaged, how do we hear the voice of God through our feelings? I think the answer is that we need to reacquaint ourselves with what the Scripture calls discernment. Scripture is clear. We need to take our emotions very seriously as a part of how God relates with us. 
but we also need to measure them with suspicion because they're not always reliable. Gordon Smith, who's a, a Canadian theologian and pastor, he, he writes this book that I, that I read sections of for this that was fantastic, called The Voice of Jesus was the book. It was a whole book on discernment. He says, We must learn to trust our emotions and our inner intuition while simultaneously acknowledging our capacity for self-deception. You have to carry both at the same time. So how do we do that? Gordon Smith talks about discerning um, two layers of our feelings. He talks about emotions. He says we, uh, we have primary emotions and we have secondary emotions. And here's what he means. Primary emotions are reactions. This is the, the first feelings. These are the raw, unfiltered, immediate feelings. The first thing that you feel when something happens. Your first emotional response. Secondary emotions are what we feel after we've reflected on our primary emotions in light of what we know is true. Gordon Smith says, secondary emotions are the fruit of careful thinking. Do you see how he's put those two together? Emotions and thought. He's inviting us to leave this idea of emotions as one just big, warm, fuzzy, dark, unmysterious, whatever we do, and divide it into two. What's my first reaction? And then what are my reflections on how I'm feeling about that? So, for example, going back to the argument with me and Jessica, when I'm in an argument with Jessica, secondary emotions are what I feel when I remember, right in the middle of my primary reactive emotions, that Jessica loves me. I know that's true. I tell myself that in my head. She loves me. She's actually kind of nuts about me. (laughs) And I have a major crush on her. (laughs) My secondary emotions change how I feel. My primary emotions feel one way. My reflections on it make me feel a different way. I can actually shape how I feel because I tell myself what's true. I remind myself what's true. And and this is where the Spirit is, right in the middle of it. He tells me what's true. He reminds me what he's told me over and over and over again. Not just about Jessica, but in in all kinds of feely places. My first reaction, huh? Second reaction, I know this is true. I know it's real. I know what God actually thinks. I saw a, a fantastic example of this when I was at UW last weekend. Um, I, was, I was hanging out with a, another uh, CCF light group down there for the weekend, uh, and I was interacting with this gal who had just been devastatingly turned down from her major. Those of you who, uh, who you, are, you are not at UW because you're at Western, you know that UW is like a tough school, right? That's a challenging school. It's like a research center. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So if you got in, that's a big deal. This gal had been working for months on her application to her program. She worked way harder than most people, other people she knew applying for this, this, this role. And she had her family edit her paper. She had her aunt, who's an who's a, who's a academic researcher, read her paper to make sure it looked good. And she had just heard that Friday before coming to this retreat that she was rejected from the program. Her initial reaction, her primary emotions as we talked, were pain, grief, deep disappointment, And lots of confusion. Why would this happen? This is like why I was in school. 
So when she came and talked to me, and she loves Jesus too. She was sure. God told me to go into this program. At least she thought so. So when she came and talked to me, we started discerning her emotions together. She started asking herself questions about her feelings. She took her feelings seriously enough to examine them. And as she looked deeper, as we talked about how she was feeling, she realized that she wasn't just disappointed for herself. She was disappointed for her family. She's, uh, she's from India, and higher education is really important for her family. And she shared, she shared with me, I, I think I realize, I feel like I've disappointed my family. I've let them down. In fact, now that, you, now that we talk about this, I feel guilty for not getting into the program. And as we talked, I asked her, based on what you know about Jesus, from his word, from this community you're a part of, how does Jesus feel toward you? about not getting into this program. And she stopped and she reflected for a little while. And as she started filtering her feelings through that lens, what does Jesus feel about my situation? She started realizing some things. She said, you know, I think Jesus is sad right alongside me. He's sad because I'm sad. I know that's what he's like. But he's not embarrassed of me. He's not disappointed by me. In fact, you know what? I think he's proud of my effort. And then she said, and in light of my new chaotic future, where I have no idea where I'm going or why I should even stay in school, he wants me to trust him with this unknown. And you know what else? I'm like, what? He said, she said, he is confident that I will still be able to make a difference in this world. She said those things because they were true. In reflecting on her emotions, Jesus spoke to her. Because of her careful thinking, what she began feeling was comfort, peace, and even the beginnings of joy. I think that if we could do that for each other, it would go a long way in helping us hear the voice of God in our emotions. What if we took time to ask ourselves these three questions? What am I feeling? And that's a big step for some people, to look inside and be like, what is going on inside of me? Why am I reacting this way? Or what what is actually going on in my feelings? What am I feeling, identifying that, Taking them seriously enough to say, that's stupid. Whatever I feel doesn't matter. Take it seriously enough to say, what am I feeling? And then ask yourself, okay, why am I feeling that way? What's behind that? What has caused, what has sparked these feelings in me? And then put them through that filter of Jesus standing next to you, conversationally. How do I think Jesus feels about what I'm feeling? And... To make sure it's legit, you have to ask yourself, how do I know that? How do I know that's the kind of, that th- kind of thing that Jesus would say to me? That's where you got to go to his word. That's where you got to go to his community. That's where you got to like, figure out and make sure you know Jesus enough to be able to filter through your, what you're feeling. God is active in our emotions. It's how he made us. So they're worth paying attention to. But because they can't be blindly trusted... We have to discern them with the truth of his word and in community with others who are also listening to him. 
These questions, I think, help us attend to our emotions. They help us examine our hearts. And they bring our, our, our emotions through the filter of Jesus' truth so that you can hear his voice through them. Now, how do we respond? Worship team, you can come up and start getting your instruments ready. That would be great. For some of you, you just need to get emotional. You don't have to change your personality. I'm not saying that. But it's time for you to start paying attention to what you feel. No matter what your personality is, you feel things. You are an emotional being. You are made in God's image, and God is emotional. Therefore, so are you. No matter what your personality is. If you don't know how you feel, then you cannot know what God is up to in your emotions. And I promise you, he is up to something in them. Whether affirming or trying to clean them out. Clean them up. And you won't be able to hear his voice when he speaks through your feelings if you have no way of paying attention to them and interpreting them with him. You can totally pray. You can totally pray about this. God, would you widen my emotional capacity? And God, would you widen and deepen my emotional awareness? Would you help me with that? He will do it. He will do it for you. If his goal is to put us back together, if his goal is to make all things new, to make us whole, that includes our emotions. He would love to answer that prayer. Others of you, you need to back off the emotional idolatry. Some of us have actually swapped out God and have decided that your emotions get to call the shots in your life. Or you've religiousized it and decided that whatever you feel strongest is God. No, that is not safe at all. God certainly speaks through your emotions. But that's not the only way he does. And your emotions are not reliable enough by themselves. So watch out. You might need to repent tonight. To turn away from overemphasizing your emotions in order to hear God's voice. If either of those things are true of you, do not leave tonight without getting prayed for. We would love to pray for you. I'll hang out in the front. We'll have people praying up here in the front. You can pray with a friend. We pray here. We talk to God. We carry each other's burdens to God here. That's what we do. But for all of us, welcome to a vision of being human that includes your brains, your muscles, and what makes you spiritual and your emotions. And let's allow these songs that we sing to stir our emotions toward two true things that are good to feel strongly about. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we give you our emotions. We welcome you into our emotions. You get to tell us how, how to feel. You get to tell us what to laugh about, what to cry about, what to celebrate, what to be angry at, and how to cry about it, and when to do all those things appropriately. You, you, you are the Lord of all of us, and that includes how we feel. So Lord, as we sing these true things, I pray that we would be attentive to how we feel. 
And I pray, Lord, going forward that you would redeem our emotions for your voice. That if we've over-elevated, we would repent of that. And if we've undervalued, we'd also repent of that. Continue making us new and whole and healthy. We love you, Jesus. Amen.